gospel, you're supposed to be these people who love everyone and show unconditional love. And Christian means to what? Be Christ-like, right? So I was like, you know, well, if the Lord or if Jesus, if God, you know, loves everyone and shows no ill will and has no hatred, then why are you hating me? Question mark. Welcome to Complexified, where religion and politics collide with real life. I'm your host, Amanda Henderson. On a warm fall evening in early October, we hosted our first Complexified Live episode at Iliff School of Theology with the theme, Why Band Drag? The evening was so much fun. Our former co-host Lex Dunbar joined us, and we welcomed two drag performers, Juicy Misdemeanor and Dixie Crystals, and no topic was off limits. We're bringing you the full conversation. You'll notice the live sound and interactions with the audience. And I hope you learn a little something and laugh just like I did. Without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, everyone. It's good to see you all. I'm excited to be back. I've missed Amanda, Miss Complexified. We are going to get started tonight. We'll have some performances, and then we'll ask some questions. Um, and then at the end, we'll have time for Q&A. All right, so let's get started. Tonight, we're asking the question, why band drag? And we have some really, really dope drag queens with us here, Dixie Crystals. <laughs> So Dixie has been dazzling audiences for 25 years. Her passion for community is what drives her to excellence. She's an ordained minister, bingo queen, MC, and fabulous hostess with the mostest. Dixie has been featured in Generation Drags, streaming on Max, and Camp Wanakiki, season five on Out TV. Thank you so much for being here. Super excited for what you're going to bring to this conversation. And now, Juicy Misdemeanor. Juicy Misdemeanor is a dancer, artist, drag performer, and a growing icon here in Denver. Juicy is the recent winner of Miss Peach 2023, a dynamic performer bringing life and party to the energy and spaces she occupies. Would you all welcome Juicy and Dixie Crystals to the stage? Welcome. Um, we're so grateful that you're here and excited for a good conversation. So as we have mentioned, we are talking about why band drag. Now, why would we be having this conversation if people weren't trying to band drag? So if you haven't noticed what's happening in the news, the ACLU has tracked that there are more than 500 bills across the country in state legislatures that are limiting rights and freedom and equality for LGBTQ people. And a number of those are banning drag, either drag story hours or performances in the community, as well as just simply banning drag altogether. So on our podcast, we talk about religion and politics. So what does this have to do with religion and politics? So drag was initially started as a way to make visible and to find joy for people who felt invisible, 
marginalized, oppressed. So one of the ways that they talk about these bills is that it's an effort to make LGBTQ people invisible, to make drag queens invisible, which is ironic. <laughs> Very. We like to blend in. Yeah. Can't you tell? <laughs> because the movement of resistance is about visibility. So, Dixie, I'll ask you first so that Juicy oh, can thank catch Thank you. I'm still breath. sweating. Yeah. I'm still sweating. <laughs> How did you come to find drag? Sure. I think a lot of it stems from, you know, like you were talking about before, the queer community, especially drag, is born out of an identity type of thing, of trying to find people that are part of what you feel comfortable being around, working around, surrounding yourself with. I got introduced to drag back in the mid-90s when I was living in Florida, and we used to go to the nightclubs, and that's when I first saw my drag entertainer. And so it was interesting to me to see that art form because I grew up in the theater and in the church. And so when I saw my first drag entertainer, I was like, what is this? What's going on? Who are these beautiful people with glittery things on them? And so uh, for me, it was just as simple as we used to have free evenings at the nightclub that you could go to if you were in drag. And so that's how my best friend and I got started in the art of drag, because we worked for Disney, which paid nothing. And so in order to get in the nightclub, you would have to do that so you could get in. And then once I started surrounding myself with people, I, I immediately found out that it was more about the family aspect. It was more about creating a tribe back in the day, but no one really knew, because it was very underground, you know. It's only been since the early to mid-2000s when Drag Race came about that it's actually been in the eye of people. And so I think that that is also a reason why it's more appealing to people uh, that want to get in the art of drag because they see the family aspect of it. Juicy, how about you? When did you come to experience drag and what was that like for you? Yeah, certainly. When did I get introduced to drag? So I've only been doing drag in the city of Denver and the state of Colorado for three years. I did it amateurly back home. Home is St. Louis, Missouri. And, you know, misery loves company, so I had to go away quickly. But it's kind of like what Dixie said, like to go to certain clubs or venues when you were either 18 or, you know, before the drinking age of the 21, right? You would have to either go in drag or volunteer, work the door, or the sneaky way I got into getting to the drag industry or the drag world was I would meet all these queens and they'd be like, you, little boy, carry my bag. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. And I would carry her bag to the dressing room. And then I would just stay and watch them get, like, get all dolled up and put their hair on and get all gussied up with the earrings and the sparkly gowns. And back home, Drag was very pageant, uh, pageantry system, so everything was big, big hair, big gowns, big earrings, and just to see it all happen, I was like, I like her earrings. <laughs> and that was my immediate, like, I like those earrings, you know, I'm like, she looks beautiful. And then for them to transform back into their quote-unquote normal lives or the norm, right, and then to just be so happy and going out with their friends and, like, there was this sense of, like, quote-unquote family or sisterhood. Everyone would leave the drag bar, leave the club, and they would go out to I have Denny's, a coffee shop, wherever there was, there could stay open late to get a bite to eat, and I got to experience that. They talk about all kinds of things. But no, that was kind of my first introduction into drag, and I mean, from then on, being a professional dancer and artist like that led to other drag shows and seeing other drag and performing and going to Vegas helped also. And just kind of unfolded for me that, like, this is what I wanted to do, and I wanted to spread this joy and love to the community. That's beautiful. It sounds like there was a sense of finding yourself Absolutely. in it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
knowing that drag has history as early as the 1800s in a black and brown community, and then communities in Harlem and Washington, D.C., in your experience, how has the culture of drag changed just in the however many years that you've been performing? Let's see. I've been doing this a long time, and it has... It's changed a lot to where I think we have gotten away from what the real meaning of the art of drag is. And I always say that during the pandemic, people learn three things on YouTube to be a bartender, a DJ, or a drag queen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Those are the three things that happened during the pandemic. And so a lot of people get into this industry not knowing why they want to do it. They just know that they want to do it, but there's no passion or drive. And we talk about how this was started by black and brown people and that it was out of activism that the art of drag was put out there. And so that's one of the reasons, me being a cis white male, that I need to also go back to the roots of drag and think, why do I continue to do this? And it is because of the activism piece. I wanna be able to speak up for people because they're more apt to listen to somebody when they're dressed like this. I always say I could sell you the Brooklyn Bridge and people are like, oh my gosh, she has $10, I'll take it. <laughs> but if I were just my man self, people wouldn't listen to that piece of it. So I feel that there's a responsibility that we've kind of gotten away from. And people think that now that it's on television that it's so in the mainstream that we have kind of lost sight of what the true meaning of drag is. I think that, just to kind of piggyback, drag has been very commercialized. And I think that it has been kind of like drawn away from the safe haven and like the community building that it was for, right? It was a place of, you know, these queer, LGBTQ, gay, black and brown people to cultivate community and feel safe within one another and also perform and show off their talents, whether they could do drag or not do drag. But regardless, it was just a, a place of building community and refuge. And I think that because, you know, it is so quote unquote profitable or it is so glamorous or it is so, I guess, nowadays easily accessible, people of any nature think they can just do it without, like Dixie said, kind of like revisiting the pride and the essence and the, what drag really is. And so I just think that like, TV's a bad thing sometimes. And it just kind of takes everything and makes it crazy. And I think when the RuPaul's Drag Race came about and all these other small spinoff shows that were commercialized and put to the top right away, the essence and the joy of what drag really is just kind of diminished and lost a just a little bit follow-up. How do you both then try to maintain the spirit of activism in your own performance? I'll go first, yeah. So myself, personally, I try to, as you, if you will, like pay homage and keep like the essence of drag alive by a lot of the song performances that I do. I love a lot of divas, if you call them, like, you know, pop stars, divas of the culture, Diana Ross, Whitney Houston, Tina Turner, et cetera. Um, the Black Girls Rock mix I just did. Like, a lot of those songs are true in essence to what I've seen performed in drag. And so I pay homage to a lot of those divas because all of their music is just iconic in drag, usually. Um, and also, I do a lot of advocacy work, uh, building and holding space for community, working with Black Pride Colorado and other things like that. So just trying to make sure I keep cultivating spaces where drag is appreciate it and celebrate it versus commercialize and kind of like in a weird, weird, weird world fetishize a little bit. So I try to make sure there's a distinction where I'm performing and what audience I'm engaging with. And if it is an audience that is less knowledgeable about drag, then I want to make sure they're at least of allyship and openness to be receptive of what I'm bringing. Yeah, to piggyback on that as well, it's, you know, again, for me being a cis white male doing drag, it's very different. So a lot of my activism that I give back is not necessarily through my performance, but it's behind the scenes. So, you know, for people like 
juicy that works with organizations. It's how can I lend my talents and how can I lend my time to help build those organizations up. A lot of it is doing in silence. I don't, you know, we don't need accolades for everything that we do. So, you know, a lot of the time is just finding out where the needs are and what people actually, the resources and the voice that they need in the community so that then I can help amplify that. I'm going off script, Lex. I know that's a shock. We are at a school of theology, yes. and so many of the people who are bringing these bills that are happening across the country are moving out of a particular Christian worldview and how do you navigate, especially Dixie, you mentioned you're ordained, you mentioned religion, Juicy, we didn't get into that yet. How do you navigate your own experience of religion, Christianity, with the ways that our culture experiences or understands religious ideas to be, especially around ideas of drag, LGBTQ, I love that question. Do we have an hour? It was long no. and rambling, so good. I'm glad you like it. The people that have a problem with it are those that are seasonal Christians. Those are the people that have a problem. They are the ones that only go to church on Easter and Christmas. That's it. And so my dad is also a retired Methodist pastor. And so we've had these conversations many, many a time. I come from a very loving family. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see what the Methodist church has gone through over the last couple of years of splitting. And, and that's happening in my small town right now in Pennsylvania. But I find that the people that come out and they use Christianity, and I'm going to say it as a weapon because that's what they're using it as, are people that are just uneducated. They have not taken the time to educate themselves on what actual truths are. And when you start building your, your platform on a series of lies, that's what ropes everybody into believing what you're saying. And so the more that we continue listening to people that are spewing the lies, unfortunately, the more that it's going to take for us to change their mindset because they're not living around and surrounded by people that have different beliefs. And if they do, like I love having healthy debates with people, especially when it comes to religion and what I do as far as drag, but people don't want to have an intellectual conversation. They just want to use keywords like pedophilia and grooming and those types of things because those are words that scare people that are not educated. And that is the plain and simple of it all. It's just the true fact that those folks just have no will to go outside of their wheelhouse to get educated on their own. Ooh. <laughs> just got a little dark in here. <laughs> okay. I know. So... I'll just give a little background first, just I guess because Dixie's kind of expressed, but I was raised a Southern Baptist Christian, so I know, girl, it was the heart of times. <laughs> I went to church five times a week. I was a youth, a youth leader in the choir, a liturgical dancer, also known as a praise dancer. I was a community outreach engagement coordinator at the age of 14. You couldn't tell me I couldn't do something, okay? Yeah. All right, I got it done. Anything we did, youth summer camp, Bible study camp, we did it all, right? So... I came out as a queer gay young man at 13, and my mom was very receptive. She's a wonderful person, a single mother, really great, 
did whatever I, she had to do to make me do whatever I wanted to do. So dance, cheer, whatever. It was just, she was, she's a really great person. But on the counterpart of that, so my uncle who actually lives in Colorado Springs and has a really big church. Used to be a Green Bay Packer. His name's Laren Jackson. He's a minister. You know, it was the, you're going to school. You're going to be a football player. You're tall. Actually, you're going to be a basketball player. You're going to get married and have two kids, and then you're going to go to school to become a minister. That did not happen. I went to school and got my BFA in dance. <laughs> yeah, I worked at the MAC makeup store. I got my cosmetology license, and now here I am. So sorry to disappoint, but uh, I have lived a very, and I can still say a blessed and humbled life. I still am very spiritual, more so than religious. I, you know, I do pray before I eat, and I say my grace and all the things. But it's just funny because for me, it was always, you know, this or that. And then when it became like you have to choose this or that, it, it kind of came a gray area because kind of what Dixie was saying, I was like, well, if you're supposed to be these people who love everyone and show unconditional love, and Christian means to what? Be Christ-like, right? So I was like, you know, well, if the Lord or if Jesus, or if God, you know, loves everyone and shows no ill will and has no hatred, then why are you hating me? Question mark. I still ask that question to this day. You know, for example, the last, any kind of indication or reaching out of communication from my uncle, who is a wonderful person and well-known pastor, was when I graduated from college, and that was in 2017. It is 2023. He showed up to my graduation from the conservatory, not to see me, but to see my cousin who was graduating from the med school. He just happened to be there the same weekend. So it's like, you know, I really, me and religion have a very iffy way about it, and not because... It was always bad. I just wanted to know where there was a disconnect and where the love stopped. Because if anything, even when I do drag now, I always tell people, you know, I can battle with people about religion all day as well and have these heated conversations. But more so than anything, I walk in love. It takes this much to love someone and this much to be kind. And so I think that if that's the leading principle, then other things shouldn't matter. But they do when it gets on my nerves. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all that. I mean, it's it's a lot, and, and you're in a safe space and place Thank you. to share that. And I, uh, this community, um, a lot of people here have experienced harm and, and love and compassion in religious communities. And, and there's this constant figuring out how to hold that tension um, when we have felt both <laughs> fully. So thank you for that. We don't necessarily have a lot of kids that listen to this, but I'm really interested in what you both would say to the queer 13-year-old who is seeing the commercialization of drag and sort of seeing themselves represented in a way that maybe you didn't see, right, like in your younger years. Um, what, what would you say to them? It gets better. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I think that is still the number one killer in youth right now is teen suicide, especially within our trans community, because we don't have enough resources in the world to help people that are in need, nor do we stop and ask people, how are you? Is there anything that I can help you with? You know, it's, it's those types of things that people don't realize that just those little words of how are you in a text message or a Facebook messenger or just on a phone call can change the trajectory of someone's day when maybe they are down in the dumps and they really don't know what to do and they don't know where to turn. So for youth today, they have it so much harder than we ever did because you have the you have technology. You have 
it's in your hand 24-7. You know, I feel like we should implement some sort of like an explosion of the phone every night at 8 o'clock. Yes, please. <laughs> and then you have to go get a new one tomorrow if you want it. <laughs> and erases all the information from the day. Like, it's technology is the, one of those double-edged swords, but I think that kids today are also growing up with parents that are my age specifically in our late 40s that are just saying, here you go, look at your iPad, go to the side, do this, do that, where I was forced to go outside and interact with people and make friends and do those types of things. And so I think that those are the biggest thing that I would say to queer youth today is that don't give up. Just don't give up. Find people that will help you because we are out there. That was so inspirational. <laughs> I love Dixie. This is like my sister girl. Like, I love her so much. I think, okay, so believe it or not, I'm really young. <laughs> I'm, she is. <laughs> I'm 28 years old, so I kind of have a lot of friends who are still finding themselves, if you will, including myself. I'm finding myself every day. I find something new about myself every day. I learn something new about myself. But not tonight. Not tonight, no. Yeah. No, no, no. I am what I am. But no, I, I think... <laughs> I can't. I think that if I were to tell a queer youth anything, I have a phrase I say a lot all the time, which is MFC, make fabulous choices. And that can really go anywhere. And I think that the first fabulous choice I always make is the people I surround myself with. Only because if you are not of service to me or my energy or my growth every day, I try not to surround myself around you. Only because if there's something happening, and I get it, people go through negative things and times in their life every day, all day. It's something that's inevitable. We can't handle or help what happens around us, right? But if I choose to make a fabulous choice by going to sit next to someone or engaging with someone who I know is most of the time positive or, you know, going out about their day, you know, changing their lifestyle for the better of themselves or whatever it is. I think that if you surround yourself in good energy, then you'll start to thrive in good energy. It's kind of infectious, you know? And I think that a lot of youth are impressionable. And so if the impressions they are taking in are good or positive, then that, you know, will steer them in the right direction, at least encourage. I'm not saying that it'll work because, you know, we're not magicians, but um, I think it could just be a positive attribute. And then also, like Dixie said, to never give up because it does get better. I mean, not overnight, not tomorrow, but, you know, in due time, in due time. So in that vein, right now, as these bills come out and there is this higher profile attack on drag queens particularly and LGBTQ folks at large. How does that feel? And how do you talk about that within your community and with your people? It feels real crappy, but we have to fight back. We can't just sit and listen to people's words. We have to then become the activists that we choose to be because we dress like this and we are drag entertainers. And so it's trying to change people's hearts and minds of what the lies, because they're lies. It's, you know, that's the way that it is, but it's deflecting from other things that are happening in the world that people don't want you to look at. So the target right now, even if we look through history, 
there's always a marginalized group that's been targeted throughout history to take away what is actually happening within the world. And so for me, it's about fighting back. It's about making smart choices as an entertainer. When I go out and I know that I'm doing story times, there's a fabulous organization called Parasol Patrol that uh, exists here in Colorado. And they go and they are a barrier between protesters and the entertainers and the people that are attending all ages events. So it happens mostly within libraries when you're dealing with younger kids. I will tell you, these kids have no idea that I'm a man in a dress. They have no idea at all. They just, they're there because I'm wearing sparkly and I'm reading a story, you know, and it's, it's the thing that, you know, I don't want children, <laughs> but if you're going to pay me to read to your child, I'll read to your child. It's, it's just as easy. It's like going to McDonald's and getting a hamburger. I'm going to pay you to make my hamburger. Great. You're going to pay me to read a story. That's wonderful. I'll do that. And so it's those types of things. And, and, and when we give back in those instances, like museums have started doing it. I've done it in so many different places. And it's so weird to me, people's reactions when they see me. Because I'm like, you know, it's, it's not like we're doing any harm in the world. I mean, statistically, you can go Google it and find out that, you know, there's never been a drag entertainer convicted of any sexual assault. Like, when it comes to children and things of that nature. So it's just crazy. And then when you have to try to have a healthy debate about that, then they say, oh, you always go to that. You always go to that as your talking point. Because I go to the facts. I go to the facts to have the talking point, to have the healthy debate, because you're going to falsehoods that you just heard through somebody else talk about it. And so it's, it's breaking down that um, the lie, basically. You know, we have to defend ourselves at every opportunity, and it really has. I mean, for the first time this year in 2023 is the most unsafe that I feel when I travel, because I travel a lot for drag. So when I travel, I, I carry my bear mace with me, and, you know, and I have a venue that I've worked with for many years, and they gifted every drag entertainer bear mace, because that's gonna do the trick if someone's trying to, to come up and harm you in any way. So it's those types of things that scare me more, because then, I feel like I'm giving in to their fear tactic, but I'm also have to be smart about it. So I'm, I'm always very aware of my surroundings. I'm, that could be my ADHD, I don't know. But <laughs> I'm always looking, always looking. I'll be talking to somebody and if I'm in drag, I'm always looking behind people's shoulders, looking at body language. Like I am just like, my eyeballs keep going to my limit. So much so the people normally near me, they're like, is there something behind me that I need to worry about? Nope, just looking out for our safety. There was a weirdo walking by. It's all right. It was just your child. That's yeah. <laughs> all it was. <laughs> oh, it was just your child. Um, yeah, I have to agree. I think that this has been one of the toughest years being in drag, especially even as like a newer drag entertainer. Like it's been three years or so. And like, it's just like, I frequent nightlife or clubs establishments a lot because I work there, but there's no place of employment. Usually Thursday through Sunday, sometimes Wednesday through Sunday, sometimes even Mondays, we're, uh, we're working, doing drag. And like Dixie said, like you, we travel for drag. I was starting to travel a lot within the state, like across borders. And then I got asked to go out of town quite a few times and I've been. Usually I don't take myself anywhere without that man back there, my fiance back there, and he's on his phone, but he's right there. Um, <laughs> I take him everywhere. He has worked in the field of security. And so I, I feel a sense of security when he's with me, not even because I can't look after myself, but a lot of times I am engaging with someone, shaking a hand, taking a photo, and I don't always see. And I think is it's sad that I have to feel that way because at one point I felt I could just go out and live my life and be a star. And now I'm like, 
because he's looking over my shoulder having to worry about if someone's gonna attack me. Um, I have been attacked in drag. Um, so uh, it's like people, you know, they think that they have this power because they are who they are, whatever's going on that day. And then when you have like resiliency that you wanna fight back, they're like, oh. I'm like, well, why are you surprised that I'm defending myself? Like, I don't understand what that is. Um, should I not defend myself? Should I just become meek and be like, oh no, I'm not gonna fight you, I'm not gonna say anything? Absolutely not. I am from Missouri, everyone, okay? Let's be clear, <laughs> okay? And um, it was not easy being gay, queer, black, or anything on the streets of the city of Missouri, all right? So I very well know how to defend myself. And the thing is, I never wanted to get to that because that was then, this is now. You know, I'm an adult, I have a career, a name, a livelihood. I love to be out in the public and working in the community. I do it every day. But the sense of safety is just always on the back end. Um, I think that it's really ironic to me that drag is being so targeted right now because I feel like there's this new season of spotlight eras every like four to six to eight months. Drag, before then, Black Lives Matter, before then, you know, I mean, I don't know. There's always this, like this trendy topic. And I'm like, these are things that we live through every day, but now it's trendy, why? You know, you pass a bill, why? What is the background story? What are you covering up? What is the access? Because I'm like, I've read to children online during the pandemic to San Jose State University, to counselors, parents of the children, children, and they all said one thing, are you a unicorn? Are you a princess? You're so sparkly. And I was in my house in front of a ring light with a computer reading these students and these parents and these facilitators a book. And they were all inquisitive about, you know, raising queer youth or, you know, being involved in their child's life or, you know, how did you know this or what did you expect from this or what can you give advice? There was no ill will or malice at all. And then all of a sudden, boom, drag's horrible. Everyone's like, ah. And I'm like, why? I don't understand. It's just, if the switch flipped and I don't understand where it happened so fast, but... Yeah, safety for me right now, it's always, always very important. And, and I, that's why I unfortunately have been limiting myself. I've been working in the same three to five bars where I know the safety protocol, the back door exit, how to get out, where we park our car. We park our car in the same spot across the street. Like, I mean, it's like right there, you know, because you never know what may happen. And so I've actually stopped, stopped traveling so much out of town because of the fear. And people look at you crazy when you're traveling in the airport with an Ikea bag full of wigs on heads, okay? And they look at you kind of crazy, so, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I make names for them. Me too. Yeah, I didn't buy them a seat either. <laughs> I wonder um, if it's because there is a challenge to this power structure and the, you know, singular white male dominant heterosexual assumption of power and that is being challenged in ways right now, in ways that those who are rising up and speaking out are supporting. And so how do you hold something like that? And, and is, does that resonate for you that it is because there is this movement to challenge power structures and a backlash? I honestly think that 95% of the people have no idea why they're against it. Mm -hmm. I, I do believe that social media and media itself play a huge role in this, that we're giving breath to it, to the hatred. And I, I honestly think if you were to ask anybody on the street, and you can watch them when they talk about politics or anything else, they can't come up with a good reason of why, 
why they're against drag entertainers, specifically drag queens. I'm like, they can't give you a good answer. So I really don't think people even have the consciousness to to think in depth that much. <laughs> I would I love to be able to give people. <laughs> I mean, I would love to be able to give people that credit, but I just don't think it's there. <laughs> I mean, come on, Alabama. Um, I just, it's, it's one of those things that we can talk until we're purple in the face, but I, I'm never going to stop doing that. You know, I will pass out talking about the importance of drag and talking to people about why it's important rather than give in to so much hatred and the violence. And I, you know, I, I've said for years, since 2016, we've just kind of opened the doors of bigotry and racism even more because we were given a card from a number of a person, I'm not gonna say their name, to be hateful in, in, the, in the country. And that's when all of this started. It didn't happen before this, it only started in 2016. But I, I really do think that it's, it's just that, that conversation, you, we have to have it on repeat. And us as drag entertainers, we have to be willing to put in the work to do that. Not everybody wants to do that or is comfortable doing that, and that's okay. They have people in our community that they can turn to because we all look out for each other. You know, like Juicy said before, that we choose to be around people that we can trust, that we, we respect, that we can talk to, have conversation. There's a positive energy around each person, and that is what we all, I think, do as individuals, too. We try and surround ourselves by positive people. Yeah, I, I kind of said it before, but I think it's just, like, it's trending. And that's sad because, like, you know, fashion trends, the new diet trends, first it was keto, then it was Slim Fast, and it was Jenny Craig or whatever it was, right? Everything trends. You go with the new trend. Yeah, I think it's very trendy, and I think that the one person, you know, starts a thing and then people just latch on to it because it's popular or because it's a fad or because it's, you know, the majority group or the majority rule. But I don't even know what they're ruling against or for or with. I'm like, do you even know why you're standing with this? No? Shocking. Oh, because everyone else is doing it. Got it. You're cool again. Great. Wonderful. Yeah, I don't think they even know. Yeah. There's no reason, really. It's very high school. I mean, think yeah. back to high school. You have your cliques of people. Think about the movie Mean Girls. Everyone had their table at lunch. That's what people are taught at a young age. And so we carry that into adulthood that we always want to be part of the clique and the cool kids. And so if so-and-so down the street, well, they're a billionaire and they're talking about it and they're against it, well, I'm going to be against it. The last question I have for both of you is when thinking of kind of what you were talking about earlier and the way that it's been a lot more scary. How in your drag life do you continue to find joy? I honestly, so I believe in self-affirmations a lot, in and out of drag. I speak to myself a lot in the mirror. Think I'm crazy, try it, it might help you, you never know. <laughs> uh, I encourage myself every day to be my, my best self. And I know that some days they won't always look good. But my best self means that whatever I have enough for that day, I'm giving to those who are around me and to myself. So I give myself grace. I hold space for myself to mess up, to fall flat. Uh, I cry a lot. I love a good therapeutic cry. Right, babe? Yeah. Uh, I cry a lot, um, for sure. I journal. Believe it or not, some people think I'm crazy, and they say they don't believe me, but I do pray. I meditate. 
I teach cardio fitness and I scream while I'm teaching, so that's great. It's very like therapeutic to scream and do things. But no, I honestly, I just, I, I choose to be my best self and I give myself grace every day. I know that, you know, life is hard at work, at home, whatever, at doing drag, not doing drag. So I just always, I take a breath and I kind of live life in the moment, day by day. I know that I plan my weeks and they never go as planned. <laughs> so I just kind of go with the flow. Today I'm gonna do these seven things. Today I did two of them, but that's okay. Because tomorrow we'll do two more, or you know, I'll do some when I get home, or whatever. And then also, I, I, as hard as it is, I hold space for my friends and others as well. Because there's a lot of times where I can interact with someone, and they're having the most crappiest day. And I don't know that, and I'm very like emotional. So I'll be like, all right, you need five minutes, clearly. <laughs> And I'm going to take 10 because you need five for you and five for me. Um, so, yeah, I just hold space for those around me as well because you never know what's going on in their lives. And, uh, yeah, like I said, just take a day by day, really. I, I press forward in the best way possible, which is a positivity and love always, or at least I try. It's very true. I always talk about it shows that we always forget to take care of ourselves because we're so worried about other people in our lives, whether it be our friends, our loved ones, or relatives, whatever that might be, that we oftentimes forget forget to take time to reflect for ourselves. And whether that's listening to your favorite song, your favorite podcast, your favorite television show, whatever that might be, like go to that place that's going to bring you back to kind of ground you for the day. I've always tried to do that for myself because there are days that, you know, I'm a pretty positive person, but there are days that are just not with it, you know? And you have to recognize that that's not a reflection on you as a person. And, you know, those are the types of things that you just take with you. Same thing, like Juicy was saying, you just have to hold grace for yourself because no one else is going to, you know? We know ourselves, we know our mind, we know our body, so we know when it's time to just kind of step back and even if it's just 10 minutes for yourself in a locked room screaming, like, it's very therapeutic. It is, it is. Agreed. <laughs> Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. We would like to open the floor for our audience for questions. Let's see. First question. Don't be shy. Where does the drag come from? Oh. I can tell you. Where does the word drag come from? So it, the, the D-R-A-G stands for dressing as a girl. That's what it stands for. Oh. Uh, and it, never knew that. It, I know. You're welcome. <laughs> that is, that's where the meaning of it came from back in the 1800s. Um, so the, that's when the whole art of drag came out because it was a queer person of color that first identified as a drag queen specifically. And that's when the word drag was derived from that and dre dressing as girl is what it means. Learn something new every day. Oh, look at that. <laughs> What's that? Queen Me? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so I use the word drag entertainer because drag has evolved so much in, well, just the most recent years, but in a, a long time. So we have drag entertainers, we have drag kings, drag queens, we have AFAB performers, AMAB, we have trans performers, we have non-binary performers. We have so many different styles of performance of people. So I use the blanket term drag entertainer for most people, unless they come to me and say, I would like you to refer to me as drag queen or drag king, or mix is another title. If they're a title holder of a pageant, then they get rid of Mr. and Mrs. and they use mix. So. It's a whole thing. 
That's another hour. We'll yeah. add that because it is really interesting. To the yeah. Show notes after this. That's real. So that would be really helpful. I yeah. haven't um, heard all of that. So yes, you're going to say something else too, Jesus. Oh no, I was just agreeing. Oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next question. Um, so this is like a very general question. Yeah. But like, how do I help? How like what do we do? I want to be an ally, so like, do I just go to shows? Do I vote somehow on bills? Do I tell me what to do? Tell me how to help. Well, you know, first things first. You're here, so kudos to you. I yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think that just being in the know and being knowledgeable about what's happening, and also recognizing that you would like to be an ally, is simply that recognizing it, showing up, supporting, holding space. If you hear some negative conversations about drag, shut it down immediately. You know what I mean? I mean, because at this point all we need to support and understand as a community. So being here, getting information, speaking to drag entertainers who actually work and, you know, stand up for these things and also like feel it's important to be vocal. Um, engage with them, talk to them, talk to us, you know, get some more information, come to more of these sit down conversations because at the end of the day, it's all about your knowledge and what you know and what you then act on that is up to you. And vote. And vote. Vote, vote, vote. That's the one good thing Taylor Swift is for. Uh-huh. Getting out the votes. That's right. <laughs> Go to drag shows and make sure you take cash. That's yes. right. Preferably 50s. Yes. <laughs> I'll take your Amex card, though. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. With the pin code. Thank you. Yes, we mm -hmm. need that. That's need a very important uh -huh. piece. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Next question. I got a question over here. So in the current political climate, it feels like there's a specific political party that they sat down and said, what is the easiest 50 meter target? What is the easiest thing that we can get everybody to jump on board with? And they said, let's protect kids. So they started targeting specifically abortion and specifically trans youth rights. So do you think that these attacks on drag performance actually stem from them trying to strip those rights from trans youth? One thousand percent. hundred percent. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. One thousand percent. Because people don't understand the difference between drag entertainment and folks that are part of our trans community. Those are two different things, very separate things. And so if you don't know enough about trans rights and trans activism, Google it. You'll see a lot of beautiful stories of people that are very successful and can tell it more eloquently than I could ever tell their story because that's their journey. But that's the, confusion, the confusing piece is that people automatically think that because we either want to dress as women or someone is transitioning to be female that somehow that is a direct link to harming biological women, which is absolutely not the case, has nothing to do with that. But yeah, people just need to be more educated in general, but specifically when it comes to identifying trans versus the art of drag. And let's be clear, I do have a lot of f friends and family and community who are trans who do drag, and some youth who are trans as well who do drag. And that is a way of expression for them. It's not necessarily the way they live their life because as their identity sometimes does not, does not translate over to their drag persona. So it is very much an intersectionality between the two. House members, they are very different and they can live in the same worlds, but they also do not live in the same worlds, if that makes sense. Uh, so my question is in, in regards to um, drag kings, because I feel like a lot of the conversation that we're hearing um, 
whether it be you know with legislation or in the news, is this specific attack on drag queens. And I understand, you know, Dixie, that you said that there's lots of categories, but the narrative is surrounding drag queens, but you don't hear any discussion about drag kings. And so I'm very curious, especially as someone who's not necessarily gender conforming and has to kind of look over, you know, her shoulder every time she walks into a public women's bathroom and is on many occasions, you know, been given that look. Um, what do you think, you know, I would just love to hear your thoughts on the fact that it does seem very one-sided. I sure do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I do think it's ironic. I think that there's some sort of relation, and this is just my personal brain, so humor me if you will. I think there's some sort of personal relation between the homosexual male who then dresses up as a drag queen that then is around a, a child or whatever. And I think that's, again, this mindset of other thoughts. And I think they just are cross-related cross and cross-correlating the two, which, again, has nothing to do with it nine times out of 10. Have there been things happen? Sure, I don't know about them. That's not my problem. I don't do that, okay? So I look at it as there is some sort of systemic relationship between some sort of information and drag queens because of usually nine times out of 10 it's a male dressing as a woman, right? Now I will say, as someone who is happily engaged to a drag king performer, they tentatively and unfortunately get overlooked and that's sad, not because we choose to, but because that's just the media and the world. And I'm, it's a very unfortunate because there are also great artists out there as well who are not just drag queens. That's what we say, drag entertainers. And I think that, unfortunately, I don't really have a reason as to why they don't target all drag. I'm glad they don't because again, then, then it would, I guess, you know, shut down more opportunities for other people. But also it's hurtful that it's, it is targeted against one group of people. So again, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where, again, it's trendy. I don't think there's necessarily a reason I do think there's some, like, again, systemic connection between something else, but your guess is just as good as mine, darling. That, it exactly. Is, yeah. Misogyny, Misogyny, for sure. There's always, I always have questions, because within, even within our own community, we discriminate against drag kings and, and trans performers. And so, and I never understood that. I don't understand why why that is a question mark, but we do it within the LGBTQ community. We often leave out the bi community and we leave out the trans community when it comes to LGBTQ. And so it, the same thing happens in the drag world. And I've never understood that. I've tried to have conversations with people of that. And I always get mm -hmm. the same answer from everywhere that I've ever worked or ever produced a show. Well, that's just not our audience. Hmm. What Sad. does that mean? You know, then it's like, I keep questioning, what does that mean? Okay, well, then maybe we need to expose your audience to these entertainers because we have some really fabulous entertainers in Colorado. Yeah, so we do. maybe it's just that they've not seen them enough and we need to then put them in front of them so they can continue to see that. That's, that's a whole... That's a whole we got a, two more hours. We got now, lots of hours. topics. <laughs> lots of time. We could be here for 14 hours and <laughs> hey, talk about everything. <laughs> Except I fall asleep at 9 o'clock exactly. So. Same. I'm got usually it. in bed by then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did Jenny have a question? I'll be quick so we can get to bed. Thank you guys. This is such a beautiful <laughs> night. I just wanted to say I found it really beautiful and fascinating that when asked about how you both got into this, you both mentioned community. And as Isla folks, I think we're people who are interested in building the kind of communities of activism support that you guys have embodied. And even just like watching the way y'all are together makes me happy. So what advice do you have for those of us who are trying to build the type of community that you see in the 
drag community. Don't give up. If you're an ally of the community, continue to be an ally of the community. If you're part of the community and you're trying to build partnerships in community, don't let anyone deter you from what you want to achieve. Find the people, go around the people that are your barricades and find the people that are your supporters and your cheerleaders to help make that happen. I can guarantee you that conversations in this setting are not happening in other states. So it's, for me, it's one of those types of things. I love the opportunities to be able to do this because it's about opening eyes and hearts and just having folks realize that we are just as everybody else. And the only thing that's different is that we throw on a frock and make people smile and have a good time, you know? And also to counterpoint that, I also recognize that building community, being an activist, being an ally is taxing. Mm. So take breaks. Gather with your friends in the community that you have already and rejoice in the work that you're doing. And also take breaks and lean on each other. Breathe, rest, and then get back out there and do it because at some point you're going to get tired. But again, like you said, don't give up, but also allow yourself some space to rest and say, hey, I'm doing the work. I've done enough today. Maybe tomorrow we'll get back out there and do some more. You know? Beautiful. So great. Thank you all so, so much. Perfect note to end on. Thank you all so much. We're so grateful for you coming and for your voices and stories. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. We had an incredible night with Juicy and Dixie and Lex and we're already dreaming up our next live episode of Complexified for spring of 2024. Check out our show notes and our website, complexified.org, to learn more about the efforts to ban drag and to limit LGBTQ rights across the United States and state legislatures, and to find out what you can do. We are grateful for our work-study student, Josh Perez, for pulling off the whole live episode for Youth on Record and DJ Aaron Stereo for bringing us music for the event. And thanks to our live audience for their participation and to Michael McMillan for managing our live sound. Sign up for our monthly newsletter to continue the conversation. And if anything inspired you or sparked your curiosity, please share this with a friend, leave us a review on your favorite podcast app, and you can even donate to help keep bringing these conversations that we need today. Complexified is presented by the Institute for Religion, Politics, and Culture at Isla School of Theology. Thanks to Jasmine Hunjan, our audio engineer, and to the team at Podcast Allies for production support, and to you for being a part of this movement to let go of simple answers and to embrace the complexity of real life. <laughs> <laughs>